All right. Thanks for listening again, folks. This is uh, the folks over at the Jedi Council podcast. Uh, we're sort of messing around with the name Councilcast, but uh, it's just kind of a tentative thing. And I uh, just want to thank you for listening in again to our second episode. And uh, just remind you who we are. My name is Brandon. I'm a graduate student over at North Dakota State University studying clinical psychology. And I'm Katie. I'm a professor at North Dakota State University. Uh, and today we're, we were just kind of getting ready for some of the, the upcoming comic book movies, been enjoying the comic book movies we've had so far this summer, and uh, we're giving a watch to the Suicide Squad trailer. And, and both of us, I think, I don't want to speak for both of us, but I think we're both pretty excited for the, the new Suicide Squad trailer. Some interesting uh, new characters, uh, Harley Quinn, a fan favorite, and uh, from what I understand, she's going to be getting her own movie coming up, a standalone film. It's kind of a rumor at this point. I think we'll learn more about that. And... Um, just kind of exploring the idea of Harley Quinn, why she's so popular, uh, or maybe talk a little bit about her origins. And from what I understand, uh, she her, she or originated. Uh, Paul Dini created her back uh, when he was involved in the Batman the animated series cartoon, and uh, she's just a fan favorite and and was so popular. She kind of uh, moved throughout not just that cartoon where she originated, but through the comics and now uh, even through the live action films. And uh, to this day, from my understanding, and just kind of from the overall fandom, is uh, one of the more popular DC characters. Um, yeah, is this kind of consistent with what you're seeing, Katie? Or? Yeah, I, I think she's a really interesting character, and one of the reasons she stands out maybe to both of us is that she starts off as the Joker's therapist mm -hmm. and then turns into a supervillain, and so that's really interesting how, how that happens. I think that Paul Dini said that she was just a minor character in a scene, and people kept asking about her. So mm -hmm. I guess there's some kind of intrigue surrounding Harley Quinn and and something that people are just really interested in. Who's this person that would pair up with the Joker and, and what's she all about? So it seems like given that there's been a lot more exploration. So I'm excited to see the Suicide Squad movie because I think that we'll get to learn a little bit more and see her interact uh, among the other people in the movie mm -hmm. and it just it looks very interesting. Absolutely. So I think one of the more iconic Harley Quinn stories, uh, something I wouldn't call it an origin story, but maybe in the way it is, you kind of do get a little bit more mm -hmm. of a background here, is the Mad Love story. And this is both uh, originally an episode from Batman, the animated series, and also a graphic novel, now a kind of a companion piece. And uh, do you, maybe just for some of the folks that aren't familiar with the story, would you mind just giving us a really quick uh, rundown of, of kind of her background and how that uh, Mad Love plays out? Sure. Well, Harley Quinn, her real name is Harleen Quinzel, and she, it's kind of unclear whether she's a psychology uh, in psychology or psychiatry mm -hmm. but that's pretty common in mm -hmm. pop culture depictions that they switch back and forth or use those interchangeably but I think it's probably a psychologist and her first job is at Arkham Asylum and her first client is the Joker which is a very difficult first client to have but she seems to have a fascination going into that with very disturbed people. Mm -hmm. So she kind of wants to get to work right away and, and she prepares herself and tries to be guarded about the idea that that he could be manipulative. Nonetheless, because consistent with psychopathy in real life, he has a sophisticated way, uh, sophisticated, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, 
I don't know if you want to take that out. I I will edit that part later. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. Anyway, he has a sophisticated way of finding how to get her on his side, Mm -hmm. even though he is does horrible things. And so he tells a story about how he basically had this really abusive childhood and the only time he ever saw his dad smile was at the circus and that's why he took on this clown persona and all of this stuff. And while resistant at first, she becomes very interested in him and ultimately falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing that's kind of fun about this Joker story too, or the Joker character in general, Maybe fun's the wrong word, but it's certainly interesting is is you get that background story, which I think from what I remember, uh, Batman's pretty sure this isn't true. Um, There's actually some interesting stories where the Joker provides multiple different backgrounds for his character, and at one point he actually says uh, if he has to choose a background, he would rather it be a multiple choice option. I always thought that was kind of (laughs) an interesting thing. So, what I mean, thinking about Harley Quinn, I'm wondering what 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 is it about the character that people are so romanticized about? Uh, Not only her, but I think also a lot of times myself, I've seen the relationship romanticized between Harley and the Joker, Mm -hmm. and uh, just to be quite frank. Ultimately, it's an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty clear cut. Uh, physically abusive, uh, certainly emotionally abusive, uh, certainly engaging in some isolation and, and a lot of these abusive type behaviors. So, uh, for me personally, I'm trying to think well, what is what is it about Harley Quinn that people so uh, relate to? Um, certainly, maybe uh, she's a, a fun character. I mean, I mean, she's kind of silly. She's incredibly intelligent. I think is is a part of her usual depiction. Uh, kind of quirky. I don't know. What Do you have any thoughts? I mean, what is it about the character that people like so much? It's not clear, but I think some of it is the maybe comedic relief mm-hmm. in that she, you know, she has this way of talking that I think people, I won't do the impression, but mm. that that people find interesting and maybe it breaks out from some of the horror of the Joker or something like that. But one one thing I think that we should stop and talk about right now is the fact that she fell in love with her client and is with Absolutely. him romantically. So uh, yeah, so this is something that is fairly common in uh, in Hollywood movies. Uh, I can think of a couple of movies off the top of my head that depict uh, a relationship developing between uh, a therapist and a client, and uh, it's it's not accurate. Uh, on f- I mean, really, uh, and it's kind of uh, bothersome to me personally, and I think for a lot of therapists, they don't really like this depiction because uh, it's not what you see in in real life. We're certainly bound by by some pretty strong ethical uh, guidelines that really guide our practice. And if you were to boil down the the biggest things, maybe the the couple of the biggest things that we really need to adhere to, is that confidentiality piece, making sure people are talking about with us, they can feel open to express uh, themselves and and their past and their lives in the comfort of knowing that that information is not going anywhere else. And then also just to maintain that uh, that therapeutic uh, professional relationship and not engage in any uh, romantic or sexual behavior with the client. Um, Because it's really... it's a huge power dynamic. Uh, you, as a therapist, you try to maintain that balance, but a lot of times clients are vulnerable, and uh, and just with that power dynamic, and, and you, they have someone who's listening to them, it, it's very manipulative <clears throat> for a therapist to engage in that kind of behavior. And maybe in this depiction, of course, it was a little bit of the opposite. The Joker, the Joker rather, not Joker, the Joker was manipulating uh, Harley, but it's, it's certainly worth noting that this isn't something that uh, that is realistic in, in, in any way. No, it's really uncommon, and if it does happen, you're looking at 
having a license taken away mm -hmm. and um, lawsuits when it does happen mm -hmm. it's a huge problem because mm -hmm. if you think about it if you're going in and there's any possibility when talking to your therapist that it could ultimately turn into a romantic relationship it immediately changes what you're comfortable disclosing um, you know all kinds of things and mm -hmm. so it, that is a really important boundary that's set within our profession but like you said nonetheless it's violated mm -hmm. quite frequently and it's not depicted as a violation so right. the departed is one movie that stands out to me where it's kind of like a, a love story mm -hmm. and they meet in this unusual way but it actually i think perpetuates some dangerous ideas about therapy mm -hmm. so i just thought we should take a break and and step out and talk about that aspect of the story too but it also talks to how uh, immediately i guess maladaptive the situation is because it's not typical Harley Quinn is trained on those ethics and yet she violates those. Mm -hmm. And so going into it, the relationship is already off to a horrible start. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I, just to kind of to go a little bit further in mm -hmm. kind of the romanticiz romanticization, I can't say the word today. Uh, it's kind of the way that, that people mm -hmm. really seem to engage in this relationship and relate to this relationship. Uh, I, re I remember reading a little while back, I don't know if you remember seeing about this, there's a, uh, a local store, not a local, a, a nationwide store rather, a popular retailer who is uh, selling Valentine's Day shirts that kind of uh, perpetuated this uh, Harley Joker relationship. I remember there's a bit of backlash uh, towards that in that it perpetuated um, kind of the acceptance and almost glorification of this very abusive relationship. And I remember that kind of got me thinking about this relationship and thinking about how, you know, uh, it is popularized, I think. Um, and it does seem like a lot of people, I, I know, I, at least me personally, just perusing the Internet, from time to time you'll come across the occasional Internet meme that kind of glorifies this relationship. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, it kind of perpetuates this negative uh Stereo, or not negative stereotype, but certainly perpetuates this acceptance of, of what is really a fairly clear-cut, um, abusive relationship. And I, I think, honestly, something as superficial as the fact that they're dressed as clowns, um, or as the Joker mm -hmm. and Harley Quinn, that that makes it seem much more comedic than it is. And mm -hmm. so, when you had mentioned the episode of Mad Love and told me a little bit about it before I saw it and I was kind of shocked that it was in a cartoon mm -hmm. showing that much I mean it goes into her, him hitting her mm -hmm. and um, and and basically what happens in it is that she's and I think this part part of it rings true even if the specific details are more fictionalized she's trying desperately to figure out how to win his affection that mm -hmm. means a lot to her and one of the things that Paul Dini talks about in creating that story is that the the true part of it that most people can relate to is that a lot of us at one point in our life fall in love with someone who it's it's mad to want that relationship mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is to the ultimate extreme of why it's a problem. But he thought that, that maybe that's why people related to her character. So that was his idea, that there is some part of it, of, of trying to make something work, even though it's clearly a disaster mm -hmm. and not workable. And so I wonder if some people relate to that. I don't think the Valentine's cards or shirts and stuff like that are going that deep into it, mm -hmm. but at least that's what, what he proposed, mm -hmm. and that seemed reasonable to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, I certainly think uh, that it's a, real, a relatable experience to to want the maybe want the attention of someone who um, maybe is 
reluctant or less likely to give the same sort of attention back to you. So I think that's that component of, of her character uh, certainly could be the, the relatable piece for people. I'm wondering, uh, I'm just sitting here kind of trying to think about what it is about, what is it about Harley Quinn that, that made her vulnerable to this experience? Uh, I mean, certainly... Uh, I think this is something that we've seen in the past where we have psychopaths and, and maybe to make analogous uh, parallels between our real world and, and this Batman universe, um, you know, thinking about some of the more uh, popularized serial killers, uh, Ted Bundy and the like, uh, from what my understanding, a lot of individuals, they receive a lot of love letters and, and things like that in prison. And, and what is it about certain individuals that make them vulnerable to, uh, to wanting this sort of attention? It's... Do you have any insight on that? or? Yeah, I think it gets tricky here, and I, I know that you and I have discussed this before, is because it's certainly the blame completely falls on the Joker, right? It's not Absolutely. It's not her fault, but nonetheless, it is worth wondering about why some people are taken in, why is she, you know, mm -hmm. and she's a fictional character, but that's what we do. We think mm -hmm. about why fictional characters, what, what elements of truth there might be. And I think at least on on the side of the Joker and what he's doing, if he is psychopathic, which he certainly exhibits traits of, there is just this level of superficial charm that mesmerizes people. Mm -hmm. And we certainly saw that with Bundy, both with his victims and then once he was incarcerated. There's some kind of magnetism. Even the judge who was sentencing Bundy kind of famously said, you know, I'm sentencing you to death, and you took the wrong turn, I'm paraphrasing here, mm -hmm. but I like you, mm -hmm. and I can't help but like you, and I would have loved to see you as a lawyer, you're very intelligent and talented, and so a judge who's supposed to be unbiased, mm -hmm. impartial, and have a proneness to uh, be against criminals, especially serial killers who did as horrible things and vicious, violent things as Bundy did, can't help but like him. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think it speaks to how powerful people with that form of psychopathy can be in drawing people in, mm -hmm. you know. And so maybe maybe there was some underlying fascination going into it. I mentioned in the in the graphic novel, there's some indication that she might have a little bit of an antisocial flair, though it's not totally clear. They don't tell a lot of her background, but they do show that she doesn't get a very good grade on her thesis initially, and it seems like she has some kind of romantic or sexual involvement with professors to bring her grades up. That's the very little they give, mm -hmm. but it suggests that she herself might have some characteristics, and you do see in life some people with similar characteristics kind of clustering together. Mm -hmm. it I thought that scene was particularly interesting. It, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I think they they depicted this scene that maybe she didn't do so well on her thesis and and engaged in this sort of behavior to uh, to to get a better grade on her thesis, which uh, for anyone listening, uh, theses typically aren't awarded grades, but for the sake of the the graphic novel. Uh, but they also, I think, in a way, depict Harley as being an incredibly intelligent person. Uh, certainly, I mean, receiving some sort of doctoral training uh, clearly must have, I mean, I, there's some different implications, I think, going on here. Uh, that, I mean, she's depicted as being bright. She outsmarts the Joker, outsmarts Batman in this graphic novel, but and story, um, but also is kind of engaging in this sort of behavior. I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting to kind of reconcile these two uh, kind of opposing sort of um, characteristics of her, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that 
Speaking of opposing characteristics, I think it's important to point out, too, that Harley Quinn is ambivalent about her relationship with the Joker. I mean, there is part of her that really badly mm-hmm. wants his affection and wants a relationship, and it's it's painful, frankly, to, to see that depicted in both the cartoon and the graphic novel, that she's just desperately trying to get his attention, and she ultimately identifies... Batman as the problem in the relationship. So she's not identifying the Joker as a problem, it's Batman. And so she comes up with this clever plan to outsmart Batman, and she thinks that that is going to win the Joker, the Joker over. But ultimately, what happens, and this is also true with psychopathy, is that his narcissism, because she has now come up with a clever way to solve the problem he couldn't solve, makes him angry. Mm-hmm. And he hits her and um, attacks her. And she ends up saying, I don't ever want to be with him again. Mm -hmm. So she certainly has insight into that. Mm -hmm. But then she's in the hospital lying there, I'm done, I'm done with all this, and then looks over and he sent her flowers and she's kind of has those mixed feelings again and wants to get back together with him. So I think that that part makes her a little more realistic Mm -hmm. in terms of having these mixed feelings, which are really common about a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. maybe especially in these relationships, that there's this unexplainable drive she has towards him. I mean, it is pretty unexplainable because he treats her horribly, Mm -hmm. and he's a horrible person. Um, And yet he finds just enough to string her along with some hope that ultimately they're going to have the relationship she imagines Mm -hmm. in her mind. Yeah. I think another thing that's... I particularly enjoyed about this story. Uh, you know me being the Batman fan. I have, I have to make everything about Batman. There's one really great part, I think, in the Mad Love story where uh, Harley asked Batman, you know, after everything she did to him, why why was he still willing to help her? Uh, and uh, he just kind of looks at her and tells her he had a bad day once too. And I think that's a really, it's a great side of Batman. I, a lot of depictions of Batman show this, you know, rough, tough, brawler sort of guy. So I always, I know for me personally, I really enjoy when you get to see this more compassionate side of him and, and maybe understand a little more of the motivation behind uh, behind his character and, and, and see him engaging in, you know, certainly he, he doesn't have a lot of time for the, for criminals and, and for individuals who are infringing upon the rights and safety of others, but he does have this sort of rehabilitative side of him where he understands that a lot of these villains that he interacts with are really the products of their environment. I, I always just really enjoy that part of uh, of his characterization. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that compassion and, and empathy, it's, it's almost, you know, Batman obviously is very intelligent and probably understanding and aware enough, he certainly understands the Joker quite well, mm-hmm. that someone who is around the Joker a lot, he has some sympathy for mm-hmm. what that might be like to be in the grips of the Joker, even if even if she has actively tried to kill and destroy Batman, yes. he still has that part of him. So I agree. I think that's a nice part that makes it more complex because sometimes it does seem like a maybe more dichotomous or black and white justice, you know, mm-hmm. criminal versus non-criminal thing. Mm-hmm. And in that case, he's having some sympathy. In a lot of ways, that kind of, it really stood out to me. So I I know in some of my own clinical work, I've worked with some individuals who are actually perpetrators of domestic violence. And I remember right away, this wasn't always an easy population for me to work with because it wasn't always easy for me to really relate to their experience and some of the actions that they were engaging in. Um, But I I think this kind of stood out to me in that I think it's important as therapists uh, when you're working with some populations like that, or maybe with anyone really, uh, to just remember and a lot of times they are just like 
uh, partly might be the product of her environment, uh, the product of the people she interacted with. Um, so just taking taking that empathetic and, and, and compassionate um, perspective or mindset when working with individuals. I think it stood out to me because I think it's an awesome piece of Batman's characterization, but also a really important skill and, and something to keep in mind as a therapist. Yeah, that's right. So I... I think that it is hard, you know, at this, you're holding these views where on one hand it's unacceptable to be violent towards other people. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely clear. And there's no excuse that makes that okay. Right. But as a therapist, you're taking on the task of trying to reduce that violence and trying to prevent that harm happening to other people. And in order to do that, it seems, the data suggests, that just putting people in prison and not trying to rehabilitate them doesn't stop that violence mm -hmm. typically uh, for a number of reasons. And a big part of it, like you said, is looking to being a product of their environment. So if they're in this environment for 18, 20, 25, 30 years and you punish them, that's without doing any rehabilitation, it doesn't seem to be as effective. So you find yourself as a therapist, or I found myself in this position because I've also worked with offenders, including mm -hmm. sex offenders and um, violent offenders, trying to find a way to connect to people while simultaneously not excuse their behavior. Mm -hmm. But in order to get to that pathway where you understand how to stop the behavior, you really have to get what their motivations and underlying thinking are. And so compassion is certainly one way to connect to them. And, and having that compassion while maintaining boundaries about what's acceptable can be a challenge, mm -hmm. but I think ultimately quite rewarding if mm -hmm. you can really impact society. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I absolutely agree. I, I know one thing that really the message I always try to convey when working with these sort or these individuals is, uh, you know, I don't condone what you did, but I am on your side. And mm -hmm. I think that's so important and really, you know, uh, getting them to engage in the process and, and really getting them to learn some new skills uh, that might challenge some of the beliefs that they've developed. Uh, throughout their upbringing, um, that really can help them navigate these situations in, in a nonviolent way as opposed to how they maybe traditionally or originally learned how to navigate them. So I'm, I'm curious, I know in my work that there are certain recurrent types of beliefs that tend to lead to this violent behavior, mm -hmm. and w what are some of the common belief systems that, that, that are come from their environments that you've it's a really great question. Uh, in my experience, and I've worked with a number of uh, domestic violence perpetrators at this point, uh, it's really all about uh, power and control, and and I often see a, a fairly large component of insecurity as well. Um, so uh, engaging in sort of controlling behaviors because they're afraid to lose this individual, and then asserting that power uh, or you know physical power or, or uh, isolation or financial control, um, just to keep that individual in an area that they're comfortable with. I think a lot of it stems from discomfort. So I know really a lot of the the real big core beliefs that uh, that I have uh, come across are you know uh, what I want matters more than what she wants, and and I work predominantly or almost exclusively with men. Uh, so that's kind of to give you the context for these sort of beliefs. So I, what I want is more important than what she wants. I think that's probably really the biggest core belief because it really applies to a number of situations. Um, yeah, just concerned of things along those lines. Yeah, I, I think that that's true, and, and at least in my experience working with offenders and violent offenders, there seems to be a variety of different people that present. And so there are some individuals who have 
a clear capacity for empathy and remorse mm -hmm. related to their behaviors and they're motivated to change and they are the ones that are more open to the skills mm -hmm. once they kind of once you can get them to feel less defensive and more comfortable that, that you're taking a compassionate stance. However, on the end, you do see people, hopefully not quite to the extent, but more on the psychopathic mm -hmm. end of the spectrum, like the Joker. Mm -hmm. And those individuals, it's important to point out that the evidence suggests that treatment can backfire, yes. that they become more sophisticated mm -hmm. when you teach them skills for handling situations so they now understand how to work things better so one of the important things that I've seen implemented is is just this increase in screening for psychopathy and then using that information when you're planning treatment mm -hmm. because I think it's difficult and one of the things that actually is really consistent with with Harley Quinn and Joker is that the evidence actually shows that therapists who rate their clients if their clients are psychopathic as most improved and most insightful, those are the ones most likely to commit violent crimes. So they are fooling the therapist, mm -hmm. and I'm not blaming the therapist for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people are very sophisticated. That's part of what's going on there. And so that part does pretty well parallel the story. Yeah, that rings true. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that's a, a pretty nice uh, summary of kind mm -hmm. of the, some of the ideas that we had floating around today. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if you if you had anything else that maybe you want to talk about today, otherwise maybe this would be a great stopping point for today's episode. Okay, sounds good. Well, that sounds good. Well, th thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns maybe about domestic violence or, or anything like that, uh, please feel free to send us a note if we can maybe direct you towards any resources. Otherwise, uh, go ahead and follow our Facebook page, follow our Twitter page, follow us everywhere that you can. Uh, tune in, and uh, we're hoping to get more of these podcasts out um, now that we've kind of slowed down with the summer schedule a little bit more, have a little more flexibility with the schedule. So please feel free to listen in, give us any feedback, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, see you soon.